Nobody would deny there is a lot of noise in our world right now. And our greatest privilege as children of God is we get to be near to Him. We get to be near to Jesus. And I think we can take that for granted sometimes. And I think one of the reasons we take it for granted is there's other louder voices. And in our generation, what I've seen is that we've, we've really pulled away from legalism, which is awesome. We, we don't want to live under the bondage of having to do things for God, but in doing so, I'm afraid we've lost some of the very best practices we have to be near to Jesus. And so my dream, our dream at If Equip, is that we would come around the old awesome things that have been done in the church for centuries that have brought people close to Jesus. Nothing changes us. Nothing changes our perspective, our views on this world, our relationships with each other. Nothing changes our sadness and our hope more than being near to Jesus. And I know for some of you, it may feel a little bit scary to, to be silent or to even to rest, but these are gonna be the most healing, beautiful practices. And we cannot wait to encourage you in these things that have caused us to know and love Jesus more. I know this might feel risky and scary, but lean in, grab some friends, and let's just see if this doesn't change everything. Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hello ladies, so glad that you have joined me for this episode. If you are new, welcome. Just for review, especially if you are new to this podcast, I started this season of TE looking first at the purpose of the IF ministry. When we looked at the popular speakers who teach at the very popular women's conference, the IF gathering, I gave a short overview of these speakers who repeatedly spoke at the conference, looking at their ministry work apart from IF. These women are known as female leaders within the American evangelical world today. So it was important to address if they submitted themselves to the clear teaching in scripture on the roles women play in church ministry. If they submit to these teachings, then it's a starting point we can look at before putting ourselves under their teachings. In the next part of the series, we looked at the way these women handled scripture. After assessing if they submit to the authority of scripture, the next thing to look at is how they handle scripture. And the 2020 If Gathering Conference was the perfect opportunity to do that as Jenny Allen assigned certain portions of Romans 8 to be taught by each speaker there. So up until now, we've looked at the speakers, teachers of the ministry, the way the ministry handles scripture. And now we're looking at the tools that If incorporates to make disciples. And the first tool I want to look at is one of Jenny Ellen's If Equip studies titled Enjoying Jesus. This study involves the book, 
a teacher's manual, and short video clips that can be found on the website or the IF Gathering app. It was released back in 2017 and advertised on Facebook, promoted by Jenny Allen, who states, quote, The new IF Equipped study, Enjoying Jesus, starts today. Guys, you're going to love it. Grab your friends, download the If Gathering app, and join us as we study how theology meets our everyday lives through spiritual disciplines like prayer, confession, silence, giving, and serving. Are you in? End quote. Enjoying Jesus is a seven-week study that is pretty simple and focused on what is known as spiritual disciplines, or in other circles known as spiritual formation. Now, one should look at a title and get a gist of the topic that the study should cover. So a title such as Enjoying Jesus should be reflecting a study that is about Jesus. Now, I want to ask this question. How can I come to enjoy someone I don't know? I want to lay this out for you ahead of time because this is going to become a common theme in the study. It will be made very clear within the first week of the study. But before we get into this, I want to present a question as we go through this, and that is, what is involved in getting to know someone? How do we go about that? Do I get to know someone by imitating what they do or did? Or do I get to know them by talking to them, asking them questions, listening to their answers, watching and noting their response to situations, observing their character, yes, even watching what they do or have done, but coming to an understanding of who they are and why they do what they do? Do I come to know someone's character by mere imitation? Keep this in mind as I bring your attention to what's being taught in this study. In this episode, we will look at what is presented in the teachings of the study, and in the next episode, we will look at the quote-unquote spiritual masters or spiritual teachers that they quote and use as examples to train us in these disciplines. So, let's dive in, shall we? What are spiritual disciplines? I'm going to play week one, day two's video clip, which is titled, Why Practice Spiritual Disciplines, and go into the day's reading. So, let's listen in. I think as believers, sometimes we can think that these practices we're going to look at in these weeks are, you know, for the the saints, the people that are, you know, in ministry or overseas in mission, like these feel weighty and they feel so serious and they feel um, completely separate from the culture and the everyday world we live in. Why do these things matter? Why do we need to care about this in 2017? I think for me, when I think about spiritual disciplines, I really see them as access points to discover who God is. Um, And the reason I say that is because sometimes when we think about who God is, he seems really abstract. He doesn't seem like he's close to us. And by having spiritual disciplines, it gives us small steps and opportunities to really understand who God is and experience him in real ways. Um, I know for me that um, when I've practiced just praying and meditating um, and fasting, those are the times when I felt God move the most powerfully in my life. And so I just feel like it's fundamental for us when we know that God wants a relationship with us to actually engage in some of these things. He's very clear and he makes it easy for us to actually talk with and commune with this amazing, powerful God. And I feel like it's critical that we do that. I agree with Jenny. We may not always feel God's presence in our life, but it doesn't change the fact that he is right there. And these spiritual disciplines really feel like it's 
training for our soul. And it's in, just like you said, it's an access point for us to feel his, ne- his nearness in our life because these are an invitation to be with him. And ultimately, our souls were built for God. Mm-hmm. And the anxiety that we feel, the sadness, the um, discontentment that we often wrestle with, there's a reason for that. Our, our souls were built to connect with God, and we're in a world where we really have to fight for it. It's not easy to, to cause these things to happen. Yeah, it's a real um, active seeking of the Lord that I think we need to really practice in our lives. And it doesn't mean that we have to do everything. It just means, you know, pick a few things, either meditating or, or studying the Word, praying, serving, worshiping. I mean, just listening to music, that could be an act of spiritual discipline. And sometimes I think we're so busy doing all these other things that we don't realize, you know, sometimes the small things are the things that matter the most and can have the most profound impact in our relationship with the Lord. So true. I do think that those those things that nobody sees, that is what shapes us more than anything else. It's not who we are in public. It's not who we are with our friends. It's who we are when we're alone with God. And if we're never alone with God, if we never cause these moments and connections to happen, then it's it's almost like we are a shallow version of who we could be. And actually, when you read throughout scriptures, um, my favorite, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is Nehemiah. And when he realized the wall around Jerusalem was broken down, he wept before God. He prayed and he fasted. And it was in that praying and fasting and emptying of himself um, to put himself before God that God gave him the power to actually be able to rebuild that wall. And so I think sometimes even when God calls us to do the really difficult things, we can't really do that unless we feel completely emptied of ourselves to really be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the study is called Enjoying Jesus. That is what we hope happens through this. Okay, so spiritual disciplines are identified as, quote, acts of faith that bring us into intimacy with himself, or access points that help us discover who God is by allowing us to experience God in real ways, and are for the purpose of emptying ourselves so that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit so we can do the difficult things. Jenny implies that if we never use these to connect with God, that living without these practices makes us a shallow person, that we could be more if only we disciplined ourselves in this way. All of this undermines the truth that in Christ we have a deep relationship with God, intimacy with Him, discover who God is, for if we have seen Christ, we have seen the Father, John 14, 9. And that we not only experience God in Christ, but are made whole in him when we receive him by faith. In him we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, Ephesians 1.3. We have intimacy, Ephesians 2.13. Reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5.18. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, 1 Corinthians 1.30. All the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22-23. The mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. The very words of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. Truth itself, John 17.17. 17, and so much more. These are the spiritual blessings that come with Christ. All of this is graciously given to us through faith, not spiritual disciplines. Now, I'll address the, uh, these in more detail as we go into Ifs goal and purpose for the spiritual disciplines. 
These access points, or acts of faith as they call them, are prayer, confession, meditation, study, fasting, Sabbath, seeking silence, solitude, simplicity, giving, service, and worship. I know some will ask, well, what's so bad about doing these things? Most of these sound biblical. The problem is not with the practice itself. The problem is with ifs teaching on why we need them, what they claim these practices do for us. That's the issue. So let's get into the reading of week one, day two. Quote, so often we walk through life feeling isolated from God and others. We are a detached people longing for connection. But the busyness of life interrupts these thoughts. A crisis erupts at work, the dishwasher breaks, a family member falls sick. Any longings for something more get pushed back below the surface. The name for what lies at the heart of this disconnected ache is sin. We long for what was meant to be because sin has broken our world. God created us for a relationship. When sin entered the world, our relationships with God, others, and ourselves shattered. We all innately feel this, that something is deeply wrong with the world. We see it on the news when we exper experience it in our relationships, from bitter arguments with our dearest loved ones to whispered prayers in the night saying, Where are you, God? We see how sin has corrupted every relationship in our lives with God and others, end quote. Before we move on, I want to say that most of this sounds good and true. Sin has broken our world, but the way this is worded bothers me. It's as if the sin that has broken this world is separate from us, is outside of us, and yet affects us. Almost as if we are the victims and not the perpetrators of sinful acts. We are the ones that bring about this sin. It is in our nature. It's not merely that something is wrong with the world, but that something is wrong with us. And here's another thing. If you've been listening to this season from the beginning and have listened to the episode where we address the purpose of Jenny Allen's If Ministry, we know that the goal of this ministry is not to make disciples in the sense of instructing and training them to obey all that Christ has commanded, but to, quote, empower women to reclaim discipleship as God's means to change the world, end quote. The goal is to change the world, this world that is described here as being broken. It is not to call individuals to repent and trust in the gospel for their salvation and to train them to, by faith, walk in the spirit, living out in obedience to Christ's word, but to make the world better, to change it. See, this is underlying the teachings that are given in this ministry, and we'll start to make more sense as we go through the main teachings of this study. So let's continue still on week one, day two. Quote, the good news is the story didn't end there. When Jesus entered our world, he stepped into our brokenness. He destroyed the power of sin on one dark afternoon by hanging on the cross. And when he walked out of the tomb, he began the work of restoring what was meant to be. Because of him, our longing for nearness with God can now be fulfilled. We don't have to feel disconnected. End quote. 
Now, there's a slight problem with this statement as well. There is a connection between discipleship as God's means by which he changed the world and what if believes is Jesus's work of restoring what has meant what was meant to be. This type of talk doesn't quite line up with scripture. See, at this, I'm a bit confused. Restore means to bring back, to return something to its former condition. Now, I understand that God will one day create a new heavens and new earth, but scripture talks of this one passing away. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. 1 John 2, 16-17 As a disciple of Christ, I am not hoping for this world and its restoration, but hoping in the next one. So it's weird for me to think that God is restoring something he talks about as passing away. Notice what is in direct connection to being restored, nearness to God. Paul, in his address to the men at the Areopagus, states this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Had he made from one man every nation of mankind to live in all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. And even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Acts seventeen twenty four to 31 To the men of Athens, Gentiles, he explains that God is near to all of us. But the issue is, are we reconciled to him? Because there comes a day of judgment for all men due to their sin, and we can have assurance that we are reconciled to God because we believe in the one who was raised from the dead for our justification. Romans four twenty two to 25 Scripture describes Jesus' work as finished. That reconciliation between God and his people was completed at the cross. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Colossians 1, 18-23 Using biblical terms matter, and restoration is scriptural, but is talked about as to come. Listen to what Peter has to say to the men of Israel at Solomon's portico in Acts 3, verses 17 to 21. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. This is the time that God graciously gives in calling people to repent, turn back that our sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from his presence. That is how we as Christians live in this evil age, reconciled and refreshed because of Christ's work. I believe that if thinks that we are part of God's work in restoring this world as expressed by discipleship as God's means by which he changes the world. But that restoration comes when Christ returns, for Christ is in the heavens until that appointed time. Our ministry is this. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17-21 Again, keep all this in mind as we go forward. Quote, when we place our faith in Christ, we trust that his work on the cross saves us from the penalty of our sins. But how do we continually respond to Jesus after we place our faith in him? It's not through big, show-stopping acts of obedience that we reach out toward him. As is often the way with God's upside-down economy, he uses the small, simple acts of faith to bring us into intimacy with himself. End quote. Okay, so now we're starting to see where the spiritual disciplines are going to come in. And this is where we start to see a big problem. Spiritual disciplines are going to be touted as simple acts of faith. Acts that bring us into intimacy with himself. This undermines the completed work of Christ on the cross, reconciling all to himself and it undermines the claim that Jesus made that God's word is what sanctifies us or makes us holy and intimate with God. There is a difference between acts of faith that make us intimate with God and acts of faith being a result of already being intimate with God. To believe this is to say that those Christians that put these into practice are more intimate with God than those who do not. 
So a perfect example of this type of faith is Abraham's sacrifice of his son Isaac. In an act of faith, Abraham set off to sacrifice his son because he believed in the promises of God. He was intimate with God who had chosen to be intimate with him and promised to bless the nations through Abraham. Trusting in this promise, Abraham obeyed God when he told him to sacrifice his son. Abraham did not obey to be close to God or gain more intimacy, but it was an act performed out of a result of the faith he had in God. And it is that same faith that produced the obedience to God's instruction that God credits to Abraham as righteousness. We'll continue reading in uh, week one, day two. Quote, These small, simple acts are well known by God's people throughout all generation. They are tried and true practices called the spiritual disciplines. Those who have followed this ancient path have found freedom from self and sin, and they have found joy, the truest joy that only comes from enjoying Jesus. The more we enjoy Christ, the more we long to look like him. The more we grow like him through the practice of the disciplines in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, the more we enjoy Christ. End quote. Week one, day two. Remember what Jenny stated in the trailer for the study? She starts out expressing thankfulness that the church has removed legalism from its midst, but states that she fears we have lost certain acts that are blessings to the Christian. Well, my question in regards to this is what does she mean by legalism? Because we clearly see in scripture what legalism is, the belief or claim that any work of ours commend us or justify us before God. That would include works that are supposed to make us more intimate with God. This undermines the sufficiency of Christ that we have been brought near to God by his blood. Ephesians 2.13 We are not brought near to God through anything other than Christ. The sufficiency of Christ is also undermined when one claims that these disciplines will set us free from self and sin. It is the truth of Christ's work and word that sets us free from self and sin. John 8, 31-36 Now in week 1, day 3, titled Jesus and the Disciplines, this If Equipped study continues to undermine the sufficiency of Christ by promoting a false teaching given by Dallas Willard that I will call Jesus' Yoke. This teaching comes from a twisting of Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29 I will get into this teaching in the next episode as we look at who are promoted as the spiritual masters or the disciples of spiritual disciplines, those who teach these practices as a means by which we become more like Christ. Let's look at this week's reading as well. Quote, Jesus chose to live in a way that maintained nearness with God the Father. We see throughout the Gospels how Jesus incorporated the spiritual disciplines into his daily life. He chose to seek silence and solitude, stepping away from the crowds to pray, Luke 5, 16, Matthew 14, 23. He fasted to draw near to the Father, Matthew 4, 2. He honored the Sabbath as a day of rest, Mark 2, 27. Jesus doesn't call us to simply put his teaching into practice by our own willpower. If we try to do that, we will fail. We will be utterly unprepared to turn the other cheek or to love our enemy if we haven't spent time with Christ in the unseen everyday things. As Dallas Willard puts it, 
quote, in this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as he lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle. Following in his steps cannot be equated with behaving as he did when he was on the spot. To live as Christ lived is to live as he did all his life, end quote. Now, this is a huge problem. This is a teaching that the willpower to put Christ's teachings into practice, basically to obey Christ, comes from the practice of these spiritual disciplines, not from faith in Christ, who works in us by the Spirit. In essence, this is us using such disciplines such as meditation, solitude, science, uh, giving, etc. to perfect us. This is in stark contrast to what Paul is trying to urge the Galatians to turn from in Galatians 3, 1 to 9. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel before him to Abraham, saying, And you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Bottom line, these spiritual disciplines are not the easy yoke that Jesus was talking about. The yoke that Jesus was talking about was his righteousness that is received by faith in the gospel. This is how we are justified and how we begin in the spirit. And it's remaining and maturing in that faith that one is perfected, or you could say sanctified in the flesh. Spiritually, we are in Christ and in Christ we are perfect as he is perfect, but we still wrestle with the flesh. We still sin. We await for our adoption, the redemption of our bodies, Romans 8.23, for the perishable to put on the imperishable, 1 Corinthians 15.53. We wait for the promise that is to come for all God's people. And no amount of spiritual disciplines, which really are a light form of asceticism, a depriving of the flesh, actually can control the flesh. Paul actually touches upon this in Colossians, which we'll look at in a bit, but moving on Quote, Jesus invites us to a different life. He calls us to the small everyday things, prayer, silence, solitude, Sabbath, because in doing them, we find the rest he speaks of. We can learn to enjoy Jesus in the day to day and find that the life he has called us to, no matter what it brings, will feel easy and light, end quote. Week one, day three. Again, it is not in doing anything that we find rest, but in faith in the one who did everything for us that we find rest. The rest Jesus speaks of is how one no longer has to keep the commandments perfectly to make reconciliation with God. 
Jesus lived and died so he could give us his righteousness and take the punishment for our sin so we can rest in his finished work. The easy yoke is not to adopt Jesus' overall lifestyle and, quote, live as he lived in the entirety of his life, end quote. Now, in week one, day four, titled, Why Do We Need Spiritual Disciplines?, Margaret Feinberg asked Lauren Chandler and Susie Davis about the benefits of putting the, disi- the disciplines into practice. Let's listen to the video clip. We've been looking this week at how Jesus, the very Son of God, he practiced spiritual disciplines too. I mean, we see him time and time again pulling away, being diligent about prayer, um, retreating into solitude. There's that moment after John the Baptist dies, and he looks at his disciples and he says, come away to a lonely place and rest for a while. And I would love to hear from both of you simply just, why do we need spiritual disciplines? I think about just the Son of God, if He needed it, how much do we? I mean, He's fully man, uh, fully God and fully man. Um, and so if He needed this, the spiritual disciplines to be um, connected to the Father, to know what His mission would be, that even that day, if He needed to do that, how much more do, do I need that? Do I need to have these spiritual disciplines in my life to remember who God is, remembering who He says He is and, and what He's done for me, um, and, and then also to, to know where do I go from here, Lord, um, to be connected to Him in that way. So, you know, the spiritual disciplines, just if Jesus was doing it, then I, I for sure need it too. In the same way you might see like a snapshot of me and my husband on Instagram or something. We went to a restaurant, happy hour, whatever, took a picture. That's just like one little snippet of all kinds of time we've spent together and things that we've done together. And I think of spiritual disciplines as those quiet and published moments with God. Like um, maybe you see me here and you get an idea of my relationship with God, but those practices that I have daily with Him are ways that he shows his affection and directs me in my life and how I'm really a daughter before him. Mm -hmm. For me, I think they're so grounding. I mean, there's a sense that I I live like, ooh, shiny, ooh, ooh, new, ooh, (laughs) keep going. And and, uh, the spiritual disciplines, they're just grounded so deeply in church history in the life of Christ. Mm -hmm. They all of a sudden like root me and say, no, 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 This, this is who you are. This is whose you are time and time again on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. Do you all find that as well? Yes, and the reason we have these spiritual disciplines and we saw Jesus do it was because he knew the best way to live life. Mm -hmm. And so if, you know, he knows the best way to live life because he created it and he sustains it, then these disciplines don't have to be something that I dread doing. Maybe sometimes I do, uh, but I know that there will be this, this payoff that I get intimacy with the Father, I get intimacy with the Son, with the Holy Spirit, that I get to enjoy them and be transformed by them. We just heard Lauren Chandler claim that, quote, Jesus needed these spiritual disciplines, end quote. Jesus didn't need his time away with God as he was God himself, but in his humanity sustained himself with food and drink and the word of God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. As Jesus loved God perfectly, he worshiped God perfectly. And I believe that what they see as 
disciplines being practiced by Jesus were actually the outworking of his love and worship. Here's another thing. With this type of argument for why we should practice these spiritual disciplines, we could also argue that because Jesus needed to obey all the moral and Jewish laws, cleansing practices, and festivals, we too need to perform these practices. There's this weird thought in my mind with Lauren Chandler making the claim that if Jesus needed the spiritual disciplines, then we need them too. Jesus performed every single law instructed by God. Now, what if these ladies were stating that Jesus being the son of God needed to refrain from eating pig? Well, then how much more do we need to refrain from eating pig? Jesus needed to be circumcised. How much more now do Christians need to be circumcised to be close to God? See, the problem? The problem is with the argument itself that whatever Jesus needed, we need to. That gets at the heart of why Jesus came. Did he come merely to be our example? Or did he come to be the Messiah, the perfect sacrifice for God's people so that they may be reconciled and be intimate with the Father through the work of the Son? We would immediately reject circumcision as an act that brings us intimacy with God. But all these ladies are doing is replacing one act or law or refraining from one act for another. Instead of not eating certain foods as needed, fasting itself becomes a need. Instead of circumcision or new moons or festival days as bringing us into remembrance, solitude, silence, and Sabbath are needed. Because, well, only because these women choose to perform these to connect with God and choose to neglect all the other acts or disciplines that Christ performed. The good news is that Jesus Christ was fully man and fully God, perfectly performed all that was needed so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. Anything that we need to bring God's direction and affection into our lives, Jesus performed it for us. They also claim that Jesus lived the way he lived because he knew the best way to live life. While that is true, he also lived the way he lived because, one, living that way is his nature. He's God and the law is rooted in his nature. Two, he lived that way because we in sin couldn't live how we are supposed to. So he obeyed and lived perfectly so that we could have his life. His life wasn't only about showing us the best way to live, but being our only way of being reconciled to God. Now let's look at week one, day four. In the reading, quote, Generations of believers who have come before us have handed down these tried and true practices known as spiritual disciplines. The twelve we will study are not new fads or the latest trends. They are ancient but simple traditions that help us remember God and grow spiritually. We see them throughout both scripture and church history. Each discipline can look slightly different in various cultures and time periods, but the basics remain the same. Those who have come before us point to these practices as a way to know God and enjoy Him. End quote. Now, while these may be traditions, the question is, are they traditions instructed to us by men, and scriptures used to justify the practice, 
Or does God actually instruct us to perform these and explain that these are practices that will bring us to know God and enjoy Him? What does God say brings us to know and enjoy Him? Will their scriptural support for these practices be drawn from actual instructions given by God or Christ, or will they be pulled from descriptive historical text? But continuing on, quote, Practices such as prayer, fasting, and solitude, among others, help us remove the distractions of our everyday lives, allowing us to hear the Spirit and obey Him, end quote. Week 1, Day 4. I agree that the Spirit works in us, making us holy. But one, are we instructed in Scripture to hear the Spirit? Is this a form of Gnosticism or a personal revelation that is received apart from Scripture? Two, if the spiritual disciplines are the means that allow us to hear the Spirit and obey Him, then the disciplines undermine the clear claim that Scripture makes when it says that it is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scriptures speak to us and are the Holy Spirit's sufficient way of instructing and equipping the believer to obey Him. Continuing, quote, Jesus told his disciples that he came so we may have life and have it abundantly, John 10.10. 10. If you were to take a good, hard look at your life, would you say you're experiencing the abundant life, the easy and light yoke Jesus spoke of, Matthew 11.30? Would you say that no matter your circumstances, you have a deep-seated joy in Christ? While these may help you accomplish tasks, None of them can bring you the freedom and joy you long for in your soul. Instead, we invite you to try something simple and ancient, the spiritual practices that followers of Christ have pointed to for thousands of years are the way to know Him better and enjoy Him more. End quote. Week 1, Day 4. They also make the claim that these practices will give the abundant life and easy yoke Jesus promised. But the abundant life and easy yoke are in relation to setting us free from the condemnation of sin and the knowledge of the wrath to come. Abundant life is in reference to eternal life with the Father that comes through the laying down of the shepherd's life for his sheep, not through spiritual disciplines. The easy yoke is in reference to those who repent in sackcloth and ashes, as that was what John the Baptist warned was calling people to repentance. They repent because they understood how heavy a burden the law is to keep. They understood the rebellion of their sin and acknowledged the wrath of God that is against it. So Jesus calls out to them to take their burden in exchange for his, which is the fulfillment of the law through his active obedience. Notice that they claim that followers of Christ have been pointing to the spiritual disciplines for thousands of years as the way to know Christ better and enjoy him more. Well, we will take a look at some of these followers they include in the study. They are known as Christian mystics, and as I hope to expose, do not teach in line with the scriptures. That is to be the next episode of T.E. At the heart of this teaching is the belief that if we act like Jesus and do what he did, we can know him. The problem is that Jesus himself said that it's not performing works, even works done in his name, prophesying in his name, casting out demons in his name, or performing mighty miracles in his name, 
this does not mean that he knows us or we know him. Only those who do the will of the Father. And we find the Father's will in Scripture. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. I mean, how close can you get but that? (laughs) And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 1 John 3, 23-34. See, Scripture is clear that spiritual disciplines such as solitude, silence, giving, fasting, etc. do not have the power to stop the indulgence of the flesh. They have the appearance of wisdom. When their adherents tell you they are tools used to draw you close to God, bring you to hear the Spirit, and grow more intimate with Him. But notice that they do nothing to help you put to death the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8.13 and Colossians 3.5 Don't get me wrong, these can be comforting. Solitude and quiet time in the Word of God is incredibly refreshing to me. But apart from faith in Christ and the completed scriptures, they are mere self-made religion. I'll let Paul go into this as he addressed the Colossian church who were being deceived by the philosophy and empty deceit that self-made religion taught. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from which the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That was Colossians 2. So ladies, I pray that you understand and trust in Christ and his sufficiency. That instead of disciplining yourself to find solitude, to fast, to be silent, live simply, give, etc., that you are instead doing what God calls all his people to. I pray you trust in Christ's work and walk by faith in the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the flesh, turning from sexual immorality. I pray you are hearing the words of Christ from Scripture and obeying them, that you are praying without ceasing and doing all things in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I pray you are building up your neighbor in love and controlling your own body in holiness and honor. All of this is our sanctification. The scriptures equip us for this, and Christ has brought us near to God through the forgiveness of our sins by his blood and has sealed us with the Spirit when we receive Christ by faith. Faith in Christ is how we receive the Spirit. Faith is how we are perfected by the flesh. Faith is how one is connected and made intimate with God. So ladies, I pray you are in his word. Ladies, if you are interested in the transcript for this episode, you can go to ttew.org. You can find other great resources, articles, blogs, and videos that may bless you in your Christian walk as well as links to follow me on social media. If you wish to contact me, you can email me at thoroughlyequipped316 at gmail.com. Again, the website address is ttew.org. Thoroughly Equipped is part of Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community. Striving for Eternity is a Christ-centered ministry focused on equipping people for eternity by assisting Christians to have an eternal perspective on life. They strive to bring evangelism, discipleship, apologetics, and Christian living together for the purpose of eternal preparation by exalting God, edifying and equipping the saints, and evangelizing the lost. They provide speakers, online articles, online courses, books, podcasts, and other theological resources, all centered on God's Word. To find out more, go to strivingforeternity.org. And to listen to other podcasts, go to podcast.strivingforeternity.org. I pray that their resources bless you as they have blessed me. 
as we live our lives day by day, praising and glorifying God.